Kia ora koutou katoa everyone and welcome to a special hoon where we are happy to invite Ref Manji who is the leader of the Opportunities Party, top party, uh, on for a, a hoon about uh, tax which is the most fun thing ever uh, because you've got a new tax policy and not just one or two little bits and pieces but a package. So uh, welcome in, Raf, and um, tell us uh, what you announced uh, yesterday in Wellington. Yeah, well, thanks uh, for having me. It was interesting uh, listening to the Prime Minister um, talking about national tax policy, but not wanting to talk about tops, even though it's as is slightly more advanced. And I think, yeah, we, we um, announced a, a big tax package yesterday, um, which I think is, is quite transformative. Um, I mean, it's stuff you've talked about before, but essentially shifting the burden of tax from income to the land. And we know over the last 20 years, um, land prices have been the big driver of the New Zealand economy, pretty much, and the New Zealand wealth and consumption effect. And, you know, it's not a new policy. It's been around in New Zealand since the 1890s. Um, it's been promoted by, you know, obviously, um, Henry George back in the late, well, mid 1800s. Um, it's long been seen as a very efficient and fair tax, easy to collect um, and impossible to evade, uh, which is when you're looking at capital taxes, uh, quite important. Um, so we announced a, a package where we proposed a tax-free threshold uh, for income tax of $15,000 a year. Uh, we moved a few of the tax thresholds around because ultimately we're looking to simplify those over time. So 20% Threshold up to 80,000, a 35% um, threshold up to 180, and then we just left the, the top one at 39%. But frankly, you can move these things around any way you like. And that would cost roughly, you know, according to the Treasury tax calculator, about $6.3 billion. Um, we also added in, because we think it's very important um, and certainly talks to our sort of, you know, universal basic income approach, uh, some more income support. Uh, particularly for children, um, and we've been very supportive of the Child Poverty Action Group and the work they've done over the years. I mean, I used to support them myself financially, and I think the extension of that in-work tax credit uh, to uh, all children, uh, particularly children of beneficiaries or parents, um, is critical, and that's $500 million going straight into um, the pockets of families who really need it. Uh, and we also added in another $400 million for the disability um, sector, so increasing disability allowances by $30 a week, um, not just for people collecting disability allowance, but also child disability allowance. And, you know, I've spoken to many people, particularly around universal basic income, because they've gone, well, that's nice, but it's not going to help us. We need extra help. And so I've absolutely taken that on board. Um, and again, it's critical. So that's another $900 million going into annual income support. That brings the total to about 7.25 billion. And in terms of the revenue on the other side, yes, we have proposed a three quarters of a percent, so 0.75% tax on the residential value of land, or should I say the value of residential land, which we think, depending on what land values you take, we've used around 900 billion to a trillion dollars, um, will raise around. 7 billion quarter, about six and three quarters to seven and a half billion dollars. So it'll be fiscally neutral. So it's really, it's a rebalancing. It's a tax switch. Remember National did it with income tax and GST, uh, somewhat regressive since that impact 
impacted people um, on low incomes. This is probably the other way. And look, I've had lots of people talking about it today and, oh, this is going to cost me this and my property's worth that. And yeah, essentially, if you're on the median income, living in a medium a medium valued house, you're going to be better off anything below that. So I'd say 50, 60% of people probably higher will be better off from this package. But what we're trying to do is send a message around where we put our investing um, and how we actually tax property uh, properly. So we won't have the bright line test. So we're getting away from the capital gains tax. So we feel this is a much more efficient approach. So yeah, so big, uh, big announcement. We did some other stuff too we can talk about in terms of housing, because this is just one lever uh, around the housing story. But that's um, what we put out there. Let's talk about the uh, tax on residential land values. Mm. Why a land tax rather than either a capital gains tax or some sort of uh, net equity tax, which is another version of a wealth tax? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. Uh, I mean, one, the collection aspect, the collection and the calculation. I mean, we have a very, very well-oiled land valuation system in New Zealand. It's actually probably one of the best in the world. Um, you know, when I've uh, spoken to people in the US looking at land value taxation, there's quite a bit of support for it there. And, and it is in operation in some places, but uh, their land valuation, so actually valuing, they value property, so they have a lot of property taxes, but they don't have a very good land valuation system out of that, whereas we split it out. So that's quite quite critical. Um, capital, um, capital is mobile, we know. You know, there's 20 trillion plus sitting in overseas, you know, tax evasion <laughs> jurisdictions and it's a very tricky beast and you're dealing with trusts and it, it's just hard um so it's not impossible but it's hard this is much easier to collect and i think the sort of the ease of collection is quite important i think also in terms of actually some of the other outcomes you're looking for which is you know trying to redirect investment into the right place to make it more productive capital gains tax doesn't really tend to get in the way of house prices um, it's a tax is quite difficult to predict how much you're, you're going to take in terms of revenue. Uh, it doesn't restrain house prices, whereas a land value tax does. Um, obviously, you know, there are other things to take into account, but that is one aspect of it in terms of it encourages land development. Land banking becomes more expensive. Um, it taxes things like, obviously, more empty houses. So people who don't have revenue from that will feel the pinch a little bit more. So that might sort of drive some changes there. So it's generally a better tax. Now, if we <clears throat> if we had a capital gains tax or some kind of capital tax, well, well, great. But I think this is much easier to bring in. And how, the, the money collected, the uh, about six point seven five to seven point five billion. You dedicated most of it to um, tax changes on income tax. Could you give us a sense of how that's redistributed? I mean, is it going to mostly people in the middle to lower income, or is it mostly lower? How would you describe the, the way it's being spread? Well, probably actually middle incomes. I mean, I think probably people between fifty and 100,000 probably get the biggest bang for their buck. Because actually, we you know, there is not a huge amount of tax on lower incomes, um, but this obviously helps people on lower incomes. Um, and I think, you know, the tax, having a tax-free threshold, you know, does give people a sense of, oh, well, I can do a little bit of work and not pay tax on it, you know, sort of encourage, a bit of encouragement there. Um, but essentially, I mean, everyone is getting a tax cut here all the way, all the way up to the top. Um, and you can bend it any way you like, really. I mean, you know, you can do smaller amounts, you can do bigger amounts. Um, it's the tax switch aspect that is the key. 
And so for some people, they might do the calculation, go, oh, this won't actually affect me that much. Well, that's fine, because actually some of the impacts are not particularly um, about boosting people's um, net outcomes. Um, it's really that sort of more macro, you know, just switching the burden away from incomes, because we want to encourage people to earn money for themselves and keep more of it. Um, and we want to slightly discourage people from investing in land <laughs> and trying to, you know, live off the gains from that. So there's a pro you know productivity driver in here as well. And you've decided to keep the 35% and 39% um, tax rates. From memory, uh, Top has been keener on a on a sim very simple one or two tax rate um, system in the past. What's the, the thinking on keeping that? particularly the 39 cent rate and the 35 percent rate from between 80 and 180. Yeah, I mean, our, our calculations around, say, the, the, the phase two package. So, we, you know, we said yesterday, look, universal basic income is still um, a long-term goal. It's going to take two terms to come in. I mean, just watching the challenges that we've had around cost of living payments, the, the, the tax administration system that actually we can't put too much um let's say pressure on the system to deliver transformative change so we're very realistic about that so we kind of thought okay how can we do this in in two steps so the the end goal in terms of at current prices anyway is for a single income tax of 35 percent, and that would apply on all income so that would include companies that would include trusts um and obviously that would be paired with a universal basic income um, which at the moment would be set around 16,500. Now, we know there's there's not going to be support for that now, so we're quite realistic about that. This is a first step towards that. Now, so that 35% rate, in a way, has been chosen with that in mind, rather than, say, 33%, because it just sort of get people, gets people used to it. <clears throat> so under the universal basic income package, the 20% would disappear. It would just be a single 35% <clears throat> income tax. But, of course, the universal basic income would create the tax-free threshold at a much um, higher level, uh, but I think you know we've got to we've got to get this away first. We've got to get into Parliament. We've actually got to get this implemented um, and show people that it can work, um, and that's quite critical. Now, the other uh, aspect of the announcement was the uh, proposal to uh, forgive two hundred the two billion dollars worth of debt that is owed by various beneficiaries and uh, family support pays to MSD. Uh, what, what's the thinking behind that? Well, I mean, I hate it for starters. Um, I mean, it has just, it's accelerated. You know, it used to be like, you know, two, three hundred million dollars. It's just out of control because people are just desperate and they're borrowing money. It's like, please give me money. Food banks are absolutely stretched to the limit. Kids are having to get grants to have clothes to go to school. I mean, this is really people struggling. And, you know, when we're looking at the enormous asset value increases over not even just the last two years, and yes, they have come off um, in recent recent times, like the last five years, it's still very, very high. And this is a balance sheet number. This is sitting there as an asset on the balance sheet. It's just righted off. You won't even notice it amongst the other 50 billion <laughs> that's being sort of knocked out. But actually, it's the quickest way to get money into people's hands is to actually say that debt's gone. You know, debt jubilees have been around since, you know, JC <laughs> was around. Um, and they kind of cleanse the system. And, the, you know, if you think about the P, I mean, I, I was a budget service advisor, you know, for a number of years and dealt with this stuff all the time. 
And sometimes I would just say to people, you know what? You are never going to pay these debts off. I'm sorry. Here's the math. It doesn't work. And if I couldn't get the debt company to wipe it off, which sometimes I could, um, I'd say, look, the easiest thing for you to do is go into personal insolvency or bankruptcy. So these people cannot get on with their lives. They cannot make progress. They are just, yeah, they're just stuck under this massive debt burden. So a lot of these people didn't get that cost of living payment. And their debts might be 2,000, 3,000, 8,000, whatever. The impact on their lives will be massive, massive. So I'm absolutely a big supporter of it. It's easy to do. Just do it. And uh, how do you avoid, you know, the, the debts building up again? They've, they've risen very quickly in the last uh, couple of years, obviously post-COVID. Um, th there's still a lot of policies uh, that the MSD run around um, extra payments, which are structured as loans rather than grants. You know, what, what, what's to stop this debt being $2 billion again in you know, five, well, ten years' time? Look, a lot of it... A lot of it, you know, if you if when you start again, when you wipe a debt and you start again, people do approach things in a very different way. It's like you have to do everything not to get into debt. That's the key. And the way the benefit system needs to be structured is don't put people into debt. You know, that's really the key thing because it, it accelerates, you know, the compounding interest. It's um, it's a beast, really, and it's very hard to shake once it becomes entrenched. And we're just, you know, we're seeing these social trends that we just, we need to stop and reverse before they become, you know, fully entrenched. And just looking at the uh, housing policies you've got there, particularly around housing supply, uh, I see that um, you're in favour of um, providing the GST component on new builds back to councils. Um, what's the thinking there? Yeah, for infrastructure development. Now, a lot of people go, oh, councils will just take it and spend it on other stuff. Well, I've been a city councillor. That doesn't need to happen. <laughs> you can actually, you know, you can hypothecate it to purely infrastructure development. Um, so what it will do is it will incentivize councils to consent a lot quicker. Um, now, the, you know, councils have got a lot of staffing problems at the moment, but it just creates that sort of sense that their job is to process consents as quickly as possible. The quicker they get them out the door, the more infrastructure can be developed by councils. So that's the idea there. I think it was a top policy last time. Um, I think ACT support that. It's an incentive to consent. We need more land supply. And I think, you know, we know that just saying, you know, everything's upzoned, that doesn't mean you're going to deliver the houses. Um, you know, you've got to have some other incentives and you've got to have funding, which is what that community housing development fund is about. That's actually a big, that is a big policy um and i've had great feedback from that sector and yeah we need to build more houses this is as simple as that you mentioned that um it would be the gst component on infrastructure spending does it not also include building materials and for new house builds as well in terms of that, that, that so that policy basically is you know gst charged on new bills which normally goes to the, the government comes back to local government okay yeah and have you worked um, out what's... Yeah, it's not planned for anything else. Yeah, and um, have you worked out what, what uh, how much this um, would cost in terms of loss, loss revenues for the government? Because in theory, that would have to be replaced elsewhere. Or is this part of the general package that is neutral? Well, you know, uh, no, I haven't looked at that, actually. It's a good question. Um, when I was looking at GST on rates... Um, a few years ago where I said government should give that back to, yep. back to councils. Again, they could have done... That was around... I think it was around 800 million at the time. In terms of the the consenting, I don't know what that number is. But essentially, it's just it's the same money. It's just being spent here. 
you know, government could fund the infrastructure directly if they want to. So it's, it's, a, it's a merry-go-round, essentially. It's just trying to create an incentive. Um, do you have a view? And who on, knows? Maybe. Do you have a view on that um, rebating um, GST on rates? Yeah, we shouldn't be paying GST on rates. No, I mean it's you know, no, it's a tax on a tax. <laughs> so, yeah, so I've had I've had that debate before. Um, but all of these things, let's face it, all of these things, it's the money is charged somewhere, the money is spent somewhere. So it's you know, so we're paying GST to the crown. They're going to spend it back in some other ways i think it's just um you know slightly unfair to councils that's all now um tell us about your plans uh in the Islam electorate where you stood in 2017 and uh was placed second with 23 percent of the vote behind mm. jerry brownlee jerry brownlee is standing as a list candidate in the coming election sarah pallet mm. is the uh, electorate mp for Labour, um, why are you standing for Islam, and, and how realistic is it that you could get in there and maybe bring one or two MPs or more uh, in on your coattails? Yeah, I mean, Islam's home, really. I mean, that that's kind of the the, <laughs> the obvious answer there. Um, even though you know I'm living in Wellington at the moment, it's not home, and I, you know I couldn't represent. You know, people said, "Would you stand in Wellington Central?" It's like, well, no, it's not my home. I can't represent them. As an electorate MP, Islam is home. Um, you know, as a city councillor there for six years, so I've had three elections in that ward. Um, you know, one, two <laughs> came second in one. So the, you know, obviously people know me, and I think that the key thing in Islam, and I've been speaking to people in the community for the last sort of six months about it. And I think when Jerry decided he wasn't going to stand again. Then I started to get some calls to say, okay, look, we want you as our, our electorate MP, primarily because people want to know who their electorate MP is. It doesn't affect the party vote. So they're not saying, hey, we're voting for the top. They're not saying that at all. Uh, they want me there uh, because I'm a voice for them, a voice for Christchurch, which I think is critical. And I think the, the campaign I ran in 2017 was a Christchurch platform. And I still think Christchurch doesn't have a strong voice uh, in Wellington. A lot of people here are frustrated that there's not more noise from the local MPs down here because it's primarily Labour MPs across the city. Um, they're not talking about issues that Christchurch cares about. And, um, yeah, I think I do have a good chance. National will clearly select a new person. I you know, kind of know who it is, but it's um, you know, there'll be a newbie. They won't have political experience. A lot of people will be reluctant to put that person in as their electorate MP. Um, Sarah, you know, is a first um, first term MP. And yeah, I think it would be a really good three-way contest. Uh, we know the numbers we need to win. We've got a huge campaign team down here. We've got all the data that we need to run a good campaign. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it's definitely possible to win. Definitely possible to win. Will you look to um, have cups of tea uh, with either of the um, main party leaders to get a nod or a wink? I'm always keen on a cup of tea. There's no doubt about that. And I think, look, I mean, you know, I was just out in a, a local cafe today. I was approached by somebody, you know, you, you know, Raf manager. I said, yep. Um, I am. They, you know, proceeded to talk to me about what was going on, and you know, Stanley and Islam, and they kind of said, "What we want really is a voice, a voice of reason." You know, we were talking about the big problems. Uh, no one ha down here is happy about centralisation. I mean, it's just a, a non-starter in Christchurch. So the government's got some big problems there, and I will be talking a lot about that, particularly the the three waters. 
Uh, but essentially, that's what they're saying, that they do actually, you know, <clears throat> they do miss the fact that we have sort of got into a status quo position where it's Labour or National, Labour or National. And people are looking for something a little bit different. And maybe in the past it would have been Winston, but he's gone, you know, full kind of go governance, separatism. He's back to that that old sort of trick. And, you know, that's not going to appeal to a lot of people. Um, so people actually want a party in the middle who can actually, you know, talk about the issues, uh, make sensible suggestions. It's not all about them. Um, but, yeah, I think helpful to the political process and helpful to everyone, quite frankly. I mean, we're pretty clear. We're not going to go into government with anyone. We will be on the cross benches. We'll be a first-time party, and our job will be to, you know, make the, the policy as good as possible. So are you saying that you wouldn't necessarily look to um, be in coalition with one or the other of the parties, that you would uh, simply advocate for some policies and then sit on the crossbenches? Yes, yeah. So there would be a very limited, I guess, confidence and supply agreement. You know, obviously, whoever wants to form the government, good luck to them, and we'll just work on legislation and policy, particularly that we're interested in, which obviously is around tax and welfare and, you know, whatever else um, comes up at the time. And but we, yeah, we wouldn't be like doing you know ministerial deals and stuff. I think that's 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 and that's not appropriate for a, a, a new party. You know, I mean, you know what Parliament's like. It takes you a while to get your feet under the desk. Um, a small party will have to cover a huge amount of ground. So our focus will just be okay. What are the things we're interested in this term? Um, let's focus on that. And uh, what does success look like? Uh... Uh, if you win in Ilam, um, what what do you think is a realistic uh, prospect, given what you've seen in the polls? I know we're a long mm. way out from an election. But... Yeah, look, I, th I think when when it becomes clear that, you know, I've got a good chance in Ilam, I think that will help with our party vote. So I would say we'd be looking at, I mean, success is probably three, three to seven MPs. I mean, seven would probably be tops, I would say. But, you know, probably, you know, three to four MPs in Parliament, a really good selection of uh, MPs who are going to be able to go straight into policy work and be, yeah, you know, be a positive um, influence on what's going on. So that, that for me is, is the target is win Island um, and bring in, you know, two, three, four MPs, build the party, build the caucus, demonstrate um, our abilities. And hopefully at the end of the next term, the threshold will be lowered <laughs> to three or 4%, which <laughs> will help. And uh, yeah, we can establish ourselves. I mean, my goal is to yeah build this party for the future. Um, I'm working with some incredible young people. So, you know, for me, it's about setting this party up as a progressive liberal party in the center, always looking at the best outcomes for people, um, supporting, you know, liberal democracy and the great things that we have but always looking to progress. That's it. And so I'm looking for the new generation to eventually take that on. So just um, uh, on that issue of being a, a centrist party um, that would do a mm. supply and confidence deal with one party or the other, um, what are the sorts of policies you'd want one party or the other to adopt um, to win that supply and confidence agreement? You know, if I look at the, you know, the tax switch, I think obviously is critical from a structural point of view. There's, there's no doubt that we have to do something about that. Um, but if you know, I had to pick one policy, it would be that the housing development fund, because that's going to have such a huge impact. If we clear that public housing waiting list, if we get community housing associations, you know, a hundred of them, building houses and communities around the country, 
and setting in place the foundation for some kind of you know generational repair and recovery i think that's absolutely critical and when i look at the policies you know there is something in all of those policies that all parties would support you know so you look at the tax cuts you know act will probably go oh well we quite like that it's not dissimilar to what we're doing we don't like the the land value tax even though if they were a classical liberal party from the 1890s they would because that was the policy back then but they've kind of gone a bit sort of to the libertarian side uh, you look at the green party they'd be supporting income support um they'd be absolutely supporting the housing stuff msd debt write-off um you know a big challenge and i mean great both the greens and act have got good ideas and they're willing to put stuff out and the mardi party as well labor and nationals is, is, is dull and i think it's because they're the big parties they're afraid to say anything because then the other one immediately leaps in and kind of <laughs> takes a chunk out of them so um yeah let's see i think national is stuck because they, they're simply promoting some tax cuts and that's it and they haven't said how they're going to pay for them we've actually said how we're going to pay for as and labor you know they're still searching for their tax principles who knows if they're going to come out with a new tax policy probably not um i think they'll come out with more spending but um yeah it looks pretty dull um in terms of our major parties and just uh, finally um this was quite a big policy announcement um what other areas have still got uh to come um i'm working i mean a lot quite frankly uh you know if you go to our webpage, we've got the higher incomes the affordable housing and there's a ton of stuff in the affordable housing we haven't even talked about like for example um 100% deposits for buying an existing home. I mean, that is is huge as well. So there's a lot of stuff we still Sorry, still you, need to talk more about. But could you, obviously, um, obviously could the you, climate stuff. Could you clarify that 100% deposits for existing homes? Yes. Yeah, so so one of the big drivers of house prices um, and obviously unproductive allocation of capital from the banks because it's just money for old rope for them is the huge mortgage lending around buying homes for uh, rental and as an investment and the ability to leverage up has been a huge part of that and we're saying no and the reserve bank's finally got on top of that um has raised that to 40 percent. we want it at 100 percent simply so basically if you want to buy a house to rent out as an investment no problem have the money have the money you can't borrow the money so that's that takes a huge amount of leverage out of the system so that's pretty critical but in terms of other policies, obviously the climate stuff is critical. Um, we'll be working on some interesting policies uh, in that space. Uh, I mean, clearly we're very supportive of uh, the current policy. Um, what are we going to do about dairy cows, particularly on the on the Canterbury Plains? That's a huge issue. How are we going to get public transport working? Um, how are we going to get people, you know, moving around in different ways? And that obviously uh, interacts with housing. Health is a massive issue. Um, we were going to release some health policy, but we have had so much feedback that we just thought, hold on a sec, we've got, there's a lot to do here. I mean, the list of complaints is astronomical um, around the health sector. And um, obviously infrastructure, funding and financing, obviously a, a favourite. So there's a lot of stuff to come. There's a lot of concerns about education. And of course, a lot of these issues like health and education, they are, a lot of them are drivers um, that are based around poverty issues as well. Uh, immigration settings so there's there's a whole lot of stuff there um, that we'll bring out next year we you know we need to have some some excitement next year yeah 
Uh, Raf Manji, the leader of the Opportunities Party here uh, for Ahun on the Kaka. Thank you so much for coming on, and no doubt we'll 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 uh, talk again before the election. Yes. Okay. Thanks, Bernard. See ya.